Welcome back, everybody, to the fifth episode of the Half Blood Hill Show. Still crazy to think that we have been doing this for three weeks now, actually, because you popped in three, four, five, yeah, third week of doing this. And uh, it's been a blast. Love reading through Percy Jackson. Unfortunately, some characters have not aged as well in my mind, but we will talk about that much later. But today... I am here with my co-host Jay to talk about Chapter 5 of The Lightning Thief. I play Pinochle with a horse. And as always, we're going to start with the summary. And we start with Percy having these weird dreams and being nursed back to health by Annabeth with what we'll learn is um, nectar and ambrosia, which are the foods of the gods. And Annabeth also brings up concern around the summer solstice, which was mentioned way back in chapter two that Grover and Mr. Brunner were talking about. Um, during this time, Percy is also watched over by Argus, who we'll talk a little bit more in terms of like mythological reference and Grover, with Grover feeling particularly guilty about his failure to protect Sally. Um, but eventually Percy will recover and... Grover will serve as Percy's guide around Camp Half-Blood for the first time. And Percy is led by Grover to the Pinochle table, where he will meet Annabeth, Mr. D, and Mr. Brunner, who will reveal himself as Chiron in this chapter, the trainer of demigods. At this table, after Annabeth leaves, Chiron finally reveals the nature of their world to Percy, and Percy learns that Mr. D is the god Dionysus. Through this, convers uh, th this conversation gets a little bit, like, contentious, um, with some lines being thrown in there that on second reading, I'm like, wow, the people at this camp are terrible, but Percy will leave this conversation with more information than he's ever had before to go to cabin 11, which is the Hermes cabin, um, alongside a now Chiron in his complete centaur form. And Percy leaves the conversation wondering basically the question most of us would be wondering the first time we read it, which is, who exactly is his godly parent, and what is to happen to him now? So overall, Jay, how did you feel about this chapter? Let's just do, like, overall thought real quick. Apologies. I was sipping my ginger ale and didn't want everybody to hear me gurgle it. Uh, I'm kidding. But no, in all reality, this um, chapter is a little bit maddening in that okay maybe i shouldn't say it that way it's it is it's a bit maddening in that i just want percy to know, be in the know at this point like where i'm so eager for him to learn about uh why zeus is so upset and why any of this is happening like somebody tell him why not what and that uh i feel it in my soul but at the same time like i was saying earlier and we'll get into later this introduction to Mr. D is very interesting to me. Um, what an a-hole. But also, like, his description is pretty fire. And <laughs> this look that he gives Percy is also uh, pretty masterful. So I, I think um, beyond my deep-rooted desire for Percy to actually know what's going on, it also is a very well-written chapter because I just love the way that Rick introduced his characters. Like, I think it's masterful. I agree. I think this is probably my favorite chapter that we've read so far. There's a Agreed. lot of like 
really cool things that happen in this chapter, uh, especially for somebody who's like read through the entire series, all these hints that you pick up on that are that are like start like the seeds that are planted in this chapter that will grow way, way, way later. I just I really love it. Going back to this one was just awesome. So last week we tried to break it up into three categories, uh, myth like the mythos of the Percy Jackson series, character and plot work, and then um general uh just like general mythological references made throughout the chapter and so this one was definitely a lot heavier on character than i think any other chapter we've read so far with like developing them and mm -hmm. so we are going to get to that we're going to start with things we learn about the mythos of the percy jackson universe and the first thing we learn is about the way demigods heal and like we get to see that there are certain parts of them being half god that are not just related to the powers they inherit from their parents. And one of that thing, one of those things is that they can eat godly food, but they cannot eat it in large portions or else they will crisp up. Like they will burn into a crisp and die. And so those two godly foods are ambrosia and nectar. Um, they're the food of the gods and they taste differently depending on who is eating the, um, who is eating the, the food. So one thing that's, kind of cool in this chapter that I didn't catch before because why would I like I was never like closely reading like that in other readings but so uh, I think it's like nectar will always taste like Sally's blue chocolate chip cookies to Percy but um like ambrosia the taste of his ambrosia changes from this chapter to later chapters where in this chapter it's introduced as buttered popcorn which I actually think is Annabeth's flavor so it's not actually what Percy normally tastes. I think that's what Annabeth tastes when she eats it. Mm -hmm. um, because, I don't know, I, th I think it's, like, really sweet because it's, like, the one good memory she has with her dad is watching movies with him. Mm -hmm. And so, like, the buttered popcorn is something that, like, is a representative of that time. So interesting how Rick changes that from Percy's taste to Annabeth's taste. And keeps Percy having that, like, sweet tooth because later the ambrosia will taste like brownies or other chocolatey things to him um, instead of instead of the popcorn. Like, I don't think it's ever mentioned that it tastes like popcorn to him again. Um, also, a change in this chapter regarding ambrosia is that it is described as pudding-like in this chapter where it's like you put a spoon in it and you would, like, spoon feed it to someone. Mm -hmm. But um, when Percy goes, I think... Even when Percy goes on this quest, though, I definitely know it's in later ones. I'm not sure if it's in this one. But he'll get, like, pocket squares of ambrosia to eat, like, in case they get hurt on the trip. Like, okay. that's part of their quest provisions that they're given. Okay. And so, like, it's interesting that it changed, that he changed it from this pudding-like consistency to squares. Because I've always imagined that these look like those lemon squares. Like, you know what I'm talking about? The lemon bar, mm -hmm. the lemon cake things. That's how I've yes. always imagined them to look like. So it was weird to hear about them as pudding. ambrosia sure why not yeah why like, not no, there's no rules do it for uh, the plot <laughs> the other thing is that so i had originally thought i'd caught something here and then i was like no i'm stupid um <laughs> and so it's about argus <laughs> and argus being just like he has, he just has like a bunch of eyes that and he's he serves as like the camp security like watching over percy and i don't know why like i it. thought I don't know why I thought that it was like, doesn't Percy mention someone with a bunch of eyes watching him at the start of the book? But no, it's he's mentioning a Cyclops. I don't know why, but I thought it would have been really cool. 
uh-huh. if the connection had been oh, to like Argus and watching him. The like, guy stalking baby. him at the playground? Is that what you're yeah, talking about? That's what I yeah. thought it was gonna be, but no, I was I was way off on that one. Imagine seeing this in all reality though. Like, no offense, man. Like, I'm sure that you provide an exceptional service as a security guard, but if I saw some guy come up to me with more eyes than I could count, goodbye. Nope. Not good enough security to save Sally, but you know. It is what it is. <laughs> um, uh, actually, hold on. I'm but yeah, so Argus actually is a mythological, like Argus is a mythological creature. He exists in the myths. Um, we're okay. going to talk about him later at the story, like how, how he was involved and how he might have come to Camp Half-Blood, like how he might have uh-huh. ended up there. But it is a pretty interesting story. But the main thing that we get in terms of the mythos in this chapter uh-huh is that we get introduced to Camp Half-Blood, which is this universe's first, or I guess not this universe, because there's a ton, but the Percy Jackson series' version of the magical school. And I love it, okay? Like, I think that the idea of this, like, summer camp that we're later going to learn has, like, walls of lava, like, walls that lava trails down and sword fighting arenas and mazes and, like, the only thing, per- but they also do things that are, like, super summer campy. Like, Percy later says the only thing I was really good at was canoeing. So it's, like, <laughs> I don't know why. It's just, it's this very, it, it is not, like a magic castle where there are classes to learn about the 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 schools but it's still very whimsical and i think that that fits very much the vibe of the it seems very unserious which overall is like a big vibe of the first couple of percy jackson books where it's like yeah you know whatever like it just fits percy's character so much more that yeah no it wouldn't be this rigid school it would be this like summer camp where, yeah, you have a camp schedule, but you also get to pick out your activities and like what it is that you actually want to do. And there's issues like, oh, let's argue over who gets shower times at this point or or meal times at this point and stuff like that. So I don't know. It's it's one of my favorite magical school tropes. But what do you think as a big you're a big fan of magical schools in general? Like, what do you think about? Uh, yeah. Camp I mean, pulling from, like, the first three that I thought of are obviously Hogwarts. Mm -hmm. And then Fourth Wings. um, God, I wish I could remember the name of their school. Isn't it? They have a school. Yeah, the Academy. Um, And then I was also thinking of Shadow and Bone. Uh, All of them, there is this level of grandeur. Mm -hmm. Whether it's the material that they're they're made of or even like the curtains being big and ginormous windows or it's up high or it's hidden in some way and I think the way that you described it as being non-serious is like the perfect way to consider it is it's not that there's any you know it's not that it's not merited Mm -hmm. it's completely and very obviously magic in the smallest things to the bigger things that they offer but I think it's um it's nice because it's not as gate kept as mm-hmm. like the fanciness, you know, pinky out that comes from things like Hogwarts. Yeah. Um, because even people who are there, it, it, like schools like that, although you would hope 
it feels welcoming, but it's still mm. not. Like even Hogwarts, like in all reality, don't get me wrong, I love it. Would I rather live in that world? Absolutely, yes. But being in one of those corridors would feel like I would feel so truthfully small. Whereas a place like this, like any person, magical or not demigod or not, would have so much fun there. The Like why, mm-hmm. especially with Disney creating this show, why that's not going to be a park in Disney? Like that has to be in the works because imagine that yeah it would, that, be it would be so fun. wicked cool so i agree with you i think that this is very fun but i also think that it's just on point uh, the, okay. the other thing that i kind of want to mention about like camp half-blood when it comes to like the housing system you know the hufflepuffs the slytherins the ravenclaws <laughs> the gryffindors and like they, they have theming but like in terms of like how different one can be from another they can't be that different because in it's a school and if like one person's common room was like so much better than the others that would be a big problem but like with camp half-blood one of the cool things that we learn next chapter i think is that like each of the cabins are designed in the fashion of that god so it's like poseidon's looks like a fishing shack whereas like zeus is this like you know super grandiose temple that like has so it's like i love that like ability to be so different depending on who you're the god of um and I think yeah. it's purposeful. Mm. I think it provides a little bit more purpose than I think what I was trying to hit at with the grandeur and mm. the gatekeeping is that like inaccessibility, you know, like when it comes to even the first movie and book, Dumbledore says, don't go into the Forbidden Forest and anybody in this section of the castle. The I third floor corridor. Not- Thank you. Yeah. Like it's a he introduces a bunch of places that you can't go. So there's mm. like a limitation to people. Whereas Camp Half Blood is structured solely to support. There is nothing that you can't do. Like yeah, maybe in a bubble and people outside can't come in, but everybody inside once can you're do in, basically yeah. whatever they want. Learn what you want to do. Get skilled in what mm-hmm. you want to do. You know, yeah. like find teachers and what it is that you want. Well, don't find teachers. Unfortunately, you're not going to find very many of those. But... Nobody's teaching you there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I just brought up two things. The, the mention of teacher brings up two things. Is that one, as cool of a magical school as Camp Half-Blood is, Percy actually doesn't benefit a lot from it because he goes out on quests almost immediately every time he gets to camp. Like maybe he gets a few weeks of training like in between. I know that in the Battle of the Labyrinth or something like he has time that he actually gets to train in Camp Half-Blood with a Swordmaster, mm-hmm. but like very rarely does he actually spend enough time in Camp Half-Blood to, I think, gain any of the resources. But the other thing is that Camp Half-Blood, as it implies, is like a very much like a summer camp type thing, meaning that while some campers do stay year-round, others typically will leave after getting a certain amount of training and then they leave to go back home, which like that concept alone is kind of crazy to me, but like why you would ever leave, like why, leave. why that's a policy, you know, like to be allowed to leave. Cause I'd be like, it's not like Harry Potter where just don't do magic and nothing will happen to you. Like just, just chill, like whatever, like monsters are actively coming for you. Like mm. why, why would you, but beyond that, the question that I actually have <laughs> for the year-round students 
mm-hmm. is who is teaching them? Yeah. Like, how are they getting educated is something right. that I don't know. Or are they just all, like, if you're not a child of Athena, are you just dumb? Like, if you live there year round, are you just like, do you know how to read? Are you just like illiterate? What happened? Like, I don't understand how you are expected to learn. And if Chiron's teaching is anything, I don't know about, I don't know about this, this in-house education they're getting. I feel like that's that spice of trauma stuff. Like, I feel like that's just going to keep it. And unfortunately, I feel like it's the reason for everything. Like, we can't give you everything or else what would be your struggle? You don't know how to math. So when you're out on your quest and we give you 200 bucks to get from here to wherever you need to go, that's how you're going to learn. Good luck. Trial by fire. Yeah. (laughs) Like, one of the things that I was talking to to Katie about one time, we were actually talking about Harry Potter, and it was just like, so, like, you know, like, Half-Bloods are, in the Harry Potter universe, it's just like, they have typically one wizarding parent and one non-wizarding parent. And so, she asked me, she was just like, but what if the kid just, like, wants to work in the muggle world? Like, they don't want to do a magical job. Like, what if it's just, like, they want to, and I was just like, I don't know. And we got into this whole conversation, was just like, do you think that Hogwarts provides transcripts? to go to college like like if you wanted to go to a muggle college that they would let you do that or like do you think they have like magical liaisons in each of the colleges to be like here's how you transfer it and so the reason i'm saying of a squib sorry and so the reason i was asking that is because like for the kids that get there year round like Mm -hmm. annabeth seems and she is the type of person that would like to go to a university and later we learn that there's a new Rome university all, all the way in the like sequel series where the Roman camp and the Greek camp meet and all they have all this stuff. But it's like, if Annabeth never met them, how is she getting into college? Like, what is her, like, I don't know. I mean, eventually she goes to school, but like at this point she is 12 and she has had five years of no of no educational record at all like nothing on record whatsoever because she ran away from home and she's been living at camp half since she's seven so it's like what did she do okay a, a ringing is ringing in my head and i'm wondering about that comment that grover made i think it was last mm-hmm. chapter before he passed out where he's kind of like muttering to himself Maybe it's the chapter before, I don't know. He's like, they never make it past sixth grade. Mm. That comment with also campers going home at some point during the year, mm-hmm. I too am a little confused of like, are they not educating these kids because they expect them to die? Is this like a Dumbledore-esque situation where like, we're just going to keep them in their little bubble mm. and hope that we can protect them by doing nothing but keeping them in this bubble for as long as we can and then just let life take them? Maybe, but I'm about to Google something. So the reason that I'm thinking about this is Luke, because Luke in The Lightning Thief is 19. Like, Yeah, he's 19 in The Lightning Thief, which has me asking more questions like, if Luke did not go down the path he went on, right? Like, what opportunities are actually afforded to this 19-year-old boy, like, at this point? If he did not want to just stay at camp all year long 
for do, to do nothing you know like what what can what else could he do what skills does he have that like he could market it doesn't seem like he got any whatever we're getting we're, we're staying too long on this but like okay good points though something to track as we read i have sure. questions i just have yes questions. okay but more god mythology based lore instead of education based lore sorry i am a teacher <laughs> so it just like it it, it really had me we thinking. wonder we wonder um, so we, we get some lore regarding the gods and how they move with the center of power. Mm -hmm. Um, and how like they were in Greece and then Greece fell to Rome. And then it talks about how they were in what Germany, France, and Spain at certain times. Yes. Which makes I'm sense. assuming France was during the Napoleonic era. I don't know when, when else like France would have been considered the center of power in the world. I feel like that's the only time. But like... The, the other thing here is that's weird is Germany. And so that has to be like, that's a reference to World War II mm -hmm. or the prelude into World War II, I guess, because eventually because of World War II, the power is going to shift to America because they have the, um, while everyone else is going through the, de the post-war depression, we start to make a bunch of money. And because we've been selling all of these weapons of war and all these things, the Lend-Lease Agreement, all of that stuff that made us really strong. And that's why the gods jump over. But there is some disturbing lore in this universe regarding okay. Hades and World mm -hmm. War II. Because yeah. during this time, Hades is in Italy. And it is suggested, it is implied that either Mussolini or Adolf Hitler were demigod children of Hades. Oh, <laughs> and like it is because of those people that were the, is because of Hitler and Mussolini that the pact of the big three was agreed upon because the child children of the big three could cause too much damage to the world. Like that was the original lore, I think, of the series. Ah, uh, oh, was that confirmed or is that like hypothesized? I think that is. I think that is confirmed. Like here. Wow, that is... Wow. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, so it is... So, yes, uh, it is assumed that Hades' children were Adolf Hitler and or Benito Mussolini um, because Hazel remarks how much Pluto looks like Hitler upon their first meeting. However, required in said at a book talk that Hitler was not a demigod but that it's also noted that World War II was caused by children of the big three so dun, dun, dun. crazy implications of that line Buzzed. but into something a little less I guess aggressive is that dun, dun. the way that Raiden will tie like real life things into dun, dun. his lore so like he it's... talks about how like the like you can tell that the greek gods lived here or the greek gods influenced here because of the construction of things like our white house or the rockefeller center or things that have like very clear greco-roman undertones which like go to show or not even undertones like literally the architecture style is greco-roman and mm -hmm. so like it just goes to show how like i love the way he just looked at all of these things that he saw like in dc and in chicago and in new york and all of these and then he just ties that into his story where it's like, oh, yes, they were built by children of these demigods or like demigods of these 
of these immortals and they built these as symbols to the gods and stuff like that i, I don't know i find that just awesome i find that like i find like his story is an urban fantasy but i like that he doesn't let that restrain him like he still world builds even though the world already exists and i i find that such a fascinating ability to do rooting it in reality I don't want to use relatable as a word. Um, I think it just hits better. Yeah. It is. It just makes it so much more palatable that like, yeah, like, yes. look how I'm, look how I am connecting mm -hmm. the, the mythology of my story to the, to your world. And Who then, is it? Oh, sorry. No, 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 go, go, go. Cause I was just going to move on to the next point. So if you have something on this point, yeah. let me know. No, I was thinking about who in our program used to remind us, don't reinvent the wheel. Oh, was it, uh, what was her name? Was it Shireen? No. No, the lady with the blonde, curly hair. We had one in-person class with her. Kennedy? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, And I think about that a lot because I think it's good advice. And I think that um, Rick is just a really good example of using what already exists like yeah, you just weave it all together because the material's already out there you don't need to reinvent anything and sometimes that's to the benefit of your audience a lot of keep it simple stupid with rick yeah yes <laughs> yes but one thing that is not simple because it is a maddening version <laughs> of a soft magic system where like the rules are so unclear mm -hmm. is the mist and the fact that even though demigods are supposed to naturally be able to see through the mist, like without any real required effort, Cameron has such mastery over the mist that until he chooses to reveal it to Percy, Percy still thinks that Chiron is a man in a wheelchair. And then at his will, he just comes walking out of the wheelchair as a full-blown centaur. And I, I, I think that that is just absolutely nuts this man's control over the mist but it still upsets me because why are you not teaching this what like what is happening i half read that page like, i knew what was happening and i knew mm -hmm. that especially being as that was the end of the chapter that it was supposed to leave me in awe and wanting to read more in the next chapter but i actually rolled my eyes like, yeah. okay all right, hold All right, on. Sure, whatever. <laughs> I'm over it. I'm over him, man. <laughs> so over him. Just, I, I really hope that later he gets turned around because I don't remember hating him. So it's like he must do something later on in the story <laughs> that I'm like, yeah, that's why I like him. But like, there hey, right now, I I'm not messing not with him at all. <laughs> but now we're onto character and plot work, and so. There's a couple things before I'm going to hand it to you that I want to like really get out of the way here, yeah. Which is that I mentioned it earlier in the in the summary part, but the summer solstice is mentioned again, and this is the deadline, um, for peace between Zeus and Poseidon. And if the items that are stolen are not returned by the summer solstice, they're going to go to war. And so, um, Annabeth mentions something was stolen. What was stolen? Like she's trying to get information from Percy who's unconscious, which just goes to show the type of person that Annabeth is at this point in the story where it's very much like 
you are useful to the extent that you are able to provide me with information. And then once that's done, like our relationship is like at an end. Like she's very practical. She is, um, what is the word? Like, is it utilitarian? Like she's very, very like this, 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 this is what we need. This is what needs to happen. This is how this needs to work. And otherwise, mm -hmm. like other than that, I do not care. Mm -hmm. Um, but we know that the lightning thief is not Percy. We know that the lightning thief is Luke. And this is always something that's just been like, it's very masterfully done actually that the person who stole the lightning, th the, the lightning bolt is literally the son of the God of thieves. But like he is painted as such, as such like a, a paragon like hero that could never do any wrong. Okay. That it, it actually manages to like pull suspicion off off him for some time. Like, yeah, okay, he's the god of thieves, whatever. But like, Luke is a great guy. Look at him helping Percy out. Like, really trying to, you know, really trying to help him fit in, guide him through the camp. Like, he does such a good job, like dissuading you at first and then dropping breadcrumbs for you later. And I, I don't know, I really like that. But if it was me, I'd immediately be in the Hermes cabin. Like, if I was Chiron, I'd kick in the door of the Hermes cabin and be like, all right, which one of you did it? I know it. Like, <laughs> oh, where God. is it? <laughs> we are all going to die unless one of you turns this over. What is happening here? Mm -hmm. Good point. Uh, another little bit later in the story, but there is this maddening philosophical discussion between Chiron and Percy when he gets to the, when he gets the, the, the pinnacle table. And, like, I did find the part where it's just, like, oh, God, or gods. Like, uh, gods, we can talk about. God, we don't deal in the metaphysical. And it's just, like, it's just, like, <laughs> waved off, like, this whole idea. Like, you would tell Ryan didn't even want to try to explain it. He's just, like, just drop it. Don't bother with it. Like, just let, let me tell my story. And I like the way that he wrote it that way. Yeah. And it's interesting. But there is a line where I think we'll get to it later. But it's the, it's the, how would you feel, Percy, if you were used as a myth to describe how little boys can get over losing their mother? I was like, rude. What is, what is the, what is the reason for this? Just rude. What is Chiron hoping to see happen? Like, I, I would oh, hate God. to believe mm -hmm. that he is just kicking Percy when he's down for no reason. Like, I feel like he wants something out of Percy in this time. And like doesn't get it, but I don't know what it is. Like, Percy can't tell you I'm the son of Poseidon at this point. He literally doesn't know. So it's like, what do you want him to do in this moment? I think that goes in the next bullet point, though, when we have that, who are you, Chiron? Who who am I? I think, and I know we've talked about this a little bit before. I think Chiron wants to craft an excellent hero. And I think these snippets and items that he withholds, withholds or jabs at Percy with is the making of a hero. I want you to see it this way. I want you to start seeing yourself as a hero. I want you to be motivated by this specific thing in your life. And it's, it's tough because there's that, I mean, I personally doubt that anybody does anything for non-selfish reasons, so hey. I'm wondering why. But given that he was, I think you have said this already, 
which is why I know it, but that mm. Chiron's sole purpose is to support and guide demigods. Like, that's why he's immortal. Mm -hmm. So, to his benefit of proving that he can produce an effective hero, you know, like, th those, those are my thoughts. Do you think that this is, like, a motivation thing? He's just like, yeah, you couldn't save your mom. What are you going to do about it now? Like, what's what are you going to do now? Like... Do you think that's what he's getting at? I just like, think it's building blocks. He's trying to do the U.S. military style, break you down to like build you up kind of thing. No, but for real though, that yeah. where is it? Um, not psychoanalysis. You know what I'm trying to say though. Um, what is it called though? I can't remember. But yeah, I got like the though I can constructing what you want like what you want someone to turn into this is molding percy's psyche i like but really it, think that that's it it comes off as nagging to me just like, oh, oh, you a thousand do it. percent I like... but i especially because we already know and it's been proven and if mm -hmm. chiron has any inkling that percy is the son of poseidon or because i think all of them would be mutually motivated regardless of whether you're zeus hades or um Poseidon's kid, all of them would be motivated motivated by anger and loss. Like mm. who is it? Yeah. So okay, if I push these specific buttons, then you will go on this quest and you will make the right moral decisions because of the way that I have presented this situation to you. You're gonna mm. be a hero because you show others how you succeeded after losing your your mom, not because you were on a revenge quest. You know what I'm mm. saying? Yeah. I, I, it is interesting. I definitely think that maybe what Karen's trying to do here is that, like, he might have an inkling as to who he thinks Percy's dad is. And, like, at this point, how many options could there be left, like, with what he knows about Percy? So it's, like, maybe he's very confident. It's just like, you are a child of Poseidon. I believe in your natural physical ability and your natural, like, godly abilities to, like, pull you through. A combat but i need to test to see that you can mentally hold up to to challenge and maybe that was kind of like uh are you someone who is going to break at a ton like are we pause yeah. hard pause are we mm -hmm. getting chiron credit for maybe doing a little bit of teaching here i don't want to call it that but <laughs> i mean it's I giving like... tough love for me <laughs> yeah maybe maybe but Chiron's okay. not the only person that Percy meets in this scene, actually. He meets, or I guess he re-meets, uh, he re-meets Annabeth, and then he meets Mr. D. And what did you think about, like, just their overall character work? I love, I'm going to say this again, I know I said this already. But I love how Percy sees Mr. D and immediately thinks of a cherub. Because let's be real. I feel like this was a little bit of a missed opportunity. Like, I mm. wish Rick made this reference because cherubs are very synonymous for me with, um, oh, God, this is the worst time to not be able to think of, not the Gerber baby, the Cabbage Patch Kids. With oh. that, like, super round face and the round bodies. And I was like, this would have been the perfect time to just link cherubs and Cabbage Patch and make a really good reference. Because, oh my goodness, does that stack you? Like, cherubs are babies. Babies yeah. in diapers <laughs> that are going around with, like, little 
archery sets, like what bows and arrows or whatever you want to call it. Like that, this is a full grown, like alcoholic man. (laughs) He's a tarot. It was so good. What what did you think? I do think that it's like, I think I mentioned it later when we go deeper into like his character in particular. Yeah. But there is this like, just his appearance, right? Let's you know that this man is not serious about his job. <laughs> like he, he does not care. He is a God. Okay. Mm-hmm. Meaning he can choose his form at will. And he wakes up in the morning and says, cherub, that's what I'm going to appear as for camp. Like he could show up as this imposing like bodybuilder figure that like controls the camp. And he's like, I cannot be bothered. Like I am going to be- I did not even think of that, bro. I had no, I had no <laughs> thoughts in my mind that he's making an active choice to present himself as cherub like that. That's wicked just funny. Oh, does God. not care. Oh, I think the, <laughs> I think the quote we highlighted really shows, yes. like the way that he feels about being here at camp and having to do his job. Like, uh, what did we say? Oh, I suppose I must say it. Welcome to Camp Half-Blood there. Now don't expect me to be glad to see you. (laughs) Attitude! It's just perfect. It's like very much like, I am not here of my own free will. Like, we know that he's not here of his own free will, but he makes no mistake in like, I want everyone to know that I hate all of you. And if I could quit tomorrow, I would. I would. But I cannot. <laughs> like, Do you want to talk about Annabeth's introduction? Oh, or... my God. Yeah. Because so, <laughs> you mentioned this last episode. I love this. I don't know why. I just, like, Annabeth is one of my favorite written characters. Like, yeah. she is up there. When I think about, like, female characters that I love... Like, Mm -hmm. she is up there with, like, Azula and Toph to me, where she's just, like, I don't know why, but she is so, like, true to herself. And herself will evolve over time to become a Mm -hmm. different person, as, like, we all do from 12 to 17, 18, hopefully. Hopefully, if you're one of my students watching this and you're 12, (laughs) like, I hope you're not the same person you are. Today, right. when you're 18 like that would be kind of a problem right. right but the way she evolves and the way that she just like she she goes from being this very practical utilitarian person to still being a very like calm collected cool leader but not a completely heartless person or not a completely like disinterested in the value of other people like she's very or or not just interested in them for the value they can provide but because like she likes them. She likes to be around them. She cares about them. She wants what's best for them. And, like, there is nothing... There's very few things that, like, in in later chapters, you know, or in later, um, much later in the sequel series, right, where it's, like, a character called Piper is going to even, like, look up to Annabeth as what someone with a limited power set in this world can actually strive to become. Like, Piper is a child of Aphrodite, not that money, not, like, not that many gifts but like and she knows like she can't look to jason or nico or percy or these children of the big three who can 
summon tidal waves and, and lightning bolts from the sky or make the earth crack and summon an army of the undead. She can't do that. But the fact that, like, Annabeth still has the respect of everyone around her later in the series. I just love the way that her character evolves. So it's like, she's not this, this bastion of power, but she is, like... A general. She is the general of Camp Halfwood, and I I love that role for her. Just how it evolves over time, and just starting with that iconic "You drool when you sleep." It's just like, it's not what you expect when you got her description, when you got her introduction, when you first was like, "Oh, she's so pretty." I saw her when she was nursing me. For her to just be this absolute weirdo. But the first line being "You drool when you sleep" is just is just perfect. Like it. It tells you so much about the character without needing that many lines, you know? Absolutely. And I think that that goes hand in hand with Chiron's hands-off attitude. His oh, line in this introduction to the group is, I must say, Percy, I'm glad to see you alive. It's been a long time since I made a house call to a potential camper. I'd hate to think you I've wasted my time. I closed the book. I had, to cl- I had to take a break. I was like, I was so upset. My first reaction to this was, who are you calling? Sally is gone. Because of <laughs> you. <laughs> I was so, I'm just like, I have never seen less, like, he could not be less tactful in this no. moment. Like, it oh. just just kicking a kid when he's down i'm like i so brutal i was like when you really stop and you think about it Mm -hmm. percy's 12 yeah he is a 12 year old boy that nobody is like like holding his shoulder and saying like i'm sorry for your loss we're here for you if you need anything Like, like not even the basic sympathies just oh you made it glad to know i didn't waste my time it's just oh so infuriating Agreed. Agreed. Uh, I think that's a good way segue into talking about some of Percy's key points. Yeah, so now we're going to go chapter. like character by character and like mm-hmm. talk about what we learned about them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so there's this one point. Oh, sorry. I said, so you want to, I was just going to say, so you want to start with Percy. Yeah. Where Chiron is explaining the gods' immortality to Percy and asks Percy if he can imagine what it would be like to be like truly be immortal over time, given what we know about history, mm-hmm. et cetera. Um, and Percy reflects, he says, I was about to answer off the top of my head. That sounded like a pretty good deal, but at the tone of Chiron's voice made me hesitate. And I know from what you've said, I didn't know this, mm-hmm. but I don't know if this is later in this series or the next one. Percy is offered godliness is that how you would say it yeah he's offered to become a god yeah he's offered Mm -hmm. immortality twice actually and i think he turns them both down yeah wow i mean i think everybody has that initial thought of like okay that could be pretty cool but the drawbacks of immortality like in all reality the first Mm -hmm. thing that i think of every time is watching everybody that i ever loved die over and over and over again too it's not just Mm -hmm. like once and then we get over the trauma and then we move on. It's like anytime oh, you make no. a new connection, you're going like, to watch that person die. Too naturally empathetic. It would hurt me so much. I cannot 
could not handle that. And that, you know, and, and that's not to say on top of the powers that you could potentially get from being immortal mm -hmm. on top of what he already has. So it's, I don't know, the bad so outweighs the good for me. And I'm, although he's just listening to what somebody else thinks, I think yeah. he could ignore it and choose his own path. But Percy is one to take advice. What Karen, were you actually, Karen actually mentions this, I think, next chapter. Yeah. Um. And and it actually, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, it like reflects on the attitudes of the gods. Where like Percy's mm -hmm. like, Percy asks him, it's just like, does it ever get boring? And he's just like, boring, no, horribly depressing sometimes, but never boring. <laughs> like he he says that to Percy. And then Exciting. I'm wondering, I'm wondering, like, well, I mean, I'm not even wondering. Like, I know that like maybe a lot of the reason that these gods are not there for their children despite them there actually being like no rule against it is that why would you want to emotionally invest in something that you know is going to die that you can't do anything for you know like it's it's very much like they're hands off because i mean at some point how many immortal how many how many kids can you watch die before you start to like be like maybe you know i can't like, I just can't do it. And I hate to make further points that support Tyron's approach to uh, Percy's education. But I wonder if that is why he so blatantly misses the signs in the beginning. Do you think or that he's, he's burned out? Convinced. Do you think he's suffering from teacher burnout? Like, I maybe that's maybe. it. I really think maybe. And I think that's why he, this like passive reproach is coming off as like, okay, well just let them, let them endure the trauma because let's, let's be super real about it. Him facing the Minotaur was a life or death situation. Mm -hmm. And if he died, he probably wasn't one of the big three. Yeah, very much. It is what it is. So why go out of your way to not know the answer when it would be, and not that I morally agree with this. This is not mm -hmm. what I'm trying to say. I'm just thinking from the perspective of a burnt out immortal whose yeah. job it is to train these demigods. Like, I really feel like he's like, okay, process of elimination. Just let them, let them do their thing, go through their trials by fire. Yeah, and if he was whoever a big dog, comes out, minotaur. yeah, then he's fine. <laughs> like, all good. This is big. This is big. Like, you know, that week leading into winter break and oh, you're God. just like, you can't teach because it's like, what's the point? Like, that's where I think he's been stuck in for the last like, <laughs> last like 100 years. <laughs> he's just like, what's the point? What's the Another point? Week. We're just going to throw on Ratatouille. Can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I used to get my kids Play-Doh. That's when I knew I was like, I'm done. Here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just... There you go. Yeah, you know, maybe that's maybe that's the, maybe that's the answer I've been looking for. I've been attacking him all this time for not being like this active teacher, but like he's been teaching for ever, like centuries. Yeah, he's burned Literally out. Literally ever. His genuine purpose is this. I would have hung it up. I would have gone to Zeus and just been like, "Listen, man, find someone else to do it." Like, can't. <laughs> but um, yeah. On Percy, though, we do learn that, I mean, I said it a lot. We know. In, yeah. I said it a lot in, like, episode three when it comes mm -hmm. to Sally being a better person than me. Mm -hmm. But, like, Percy's also better than me. Like, I have to be honest with you. 
I would like to believe yeah. that when I woke up and saw Grover, that I would not jump out of the bed and strangle him. <laughs> like, I, I would like to believe that I wouldn't, like, yell and scream at him. But I would. Mm -hmm. Especially if I was, like, a 12-year-old kid and your job was to protect me and instead mm -hmm. you were unconscious. I had to fight a minotaur by myself and my mom died. Like, we would not be friends anymore. Like, you are on... Mm -hmm. you, are, you are near the top of my hit list. Like, I hate <laughs> you. Like, I cannot stand you. But that is not mm -hmm. the kind of person that, like, Percy is. He's actually, like, very forgiving. Um, possibly stupidly so. But, like, yes. he's very, very forgiving to Grover. And, like, even shows where, like, Grover takes interest in, like, what did the nectar taste like? And, like, in my head, I would have been, like, I would have just thrown it in his face and said, you tell me. Like, I would have been oh. so upset with, like, <laughs> him. But, like, yeah. Percy feels bad. Like, he feels mm -hmm. he feels bad for this person that let him mm -hmm. down so tremendously. Like, to be all like, oh, I should have let you have some. And, like, it's especially impactful because, like, three paragraphs ago, he was talking about how much he missed his mom. And, like, accepting the fact that his mom was actually dead because Grover showed him the Minotaur horn. Yeah, the thing it's not that i don't agree i see mm. where you're coming from but also i have to remind myself of how long percy has been protecting grover mm -hmm. at in school and how he thinks grover is like a little weird and mm -hmm. just needs a little bit of help and assistance and i feel like the dynamic of percy is that he's everybody's older brother you know, like he just collects them all and he's like, I got you. And just like runs everywhere with them and protects them as best that he can. It just like is his makeup. But also like, I wonder if they hadn't had so much time together already, mm. if he would have reacted in that way. I actually do think that in this moment, when Percy sees Grover. Yeah. Like, I actually think that Grover would prefer for Percy to be angry at him yes. than what Percy is actually feeling, which is, like, he is upset with himself. Yeah. Like, I don't think that, like, in this moment, or even, like, in the Minotaur, like, fight area, I don't, I don't even think he expected Grover to be able to do anything to help. Like, he's always been the one that steps in to protect Grover because like, I mean, like, I hate to say it this way and there, there is a more delicate way to say it, but it's like Percy knows Grover is weak. Yeah. Like, so, so there's no, there's no, he doesn't have any expectation that Grover was going to like go, go horn to horn with the Minotaur. Like he doesn't believe that is an option. You can't even see those horns. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't, he doesn't <laughs> even believe that's an option. Yeah. So it's like, he's definitely kicking himself here where like, it hasn't hit yet. It's like, you know, mm -hmm. when you, the, the stages of grief where he's still in, like, the, the disbelief stage. Like, he's just coming out of the disbelief stage. But he's he's more upset with himself than anything. Like, he's like, I should have been able to do something more. And I think that's just... It's very hero. It's very, I am the hero of a young adult story. And I I am going to take the blame for things that are not my fault. But it yeah. it is it is just very much, like... I don't know, it's very Percy. And we know that it ties into this, like, his fatal flaw of loyalty 
and that he couldn't he couldn't do what he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's further endorsed by our next bullet point. Grover was a satyr. I was ready mm-hmm. to bet that if I shaved his curly brown hair, I'd find tiny horns. Now, let's talk about that for a second. Mm-hmm. Percy already knows he's going to find these tiny little horns. They're not mm-hmm. like wicked cool crazy horns that like go in the back and like curl around and could be yeah. like super dope underneath his c- curly thing that he's got going on or whatever that is like Percy Mm -hmm. knows from Grover's personality and whatever time they've come together that he can't just have like super magic underneath the Mm -hmm. the, when he loses his trousers like he's not built that that. is already no he's not built like that and I think you um wrote it wrote it artfully Mm -hmm. that Grover is just really childish like, mm-hmm. even though technically he's, what, 24 or 26? 26. 26? Like, that mm-hmm. is really genuinely a baby. Yeah, I read that. No, because, like, I the reason that I wrote that he was childish is, like, where is it? Um, Percy is the one going through something right now, mm-hmm. right? And then Grover says something that's, oh... Grover starts to sniffle. I'm sorry. I'm a failure. I'm the worst satyr in the world. That's like a very childish response. Like someone else is going through something and you You're direct what was it. To, yeah. yeah. Like he is a kid. Like that's a very kid-like behavior. Like he can't even let, and it's not intentional. He's not like, I don't want to let you feel your feelings, Percy. It's like he does not have the emotional regulation to like understand that that response is not the correct response for someone who is grieving something so terrible like he is a kid he's not this fully grown protector capable of like dragging percy out of danger or anything like that like he's what so he's half he's like 13 at most like Mm -hmm. he's 12 13 at most because they grow they age half as fast you know he's a late bloomer to begin with and he's just you know he's a kid like, he's a kid acting out in kid ways. And he's not brave like Percy. Like, it's it's different, you know? Yeah. And he has no confidence. Because on oh, top of... Oh, it's already of... been shattered. Yeah, it's been shattered because mm. of Thalia. Like, that whole situation on top of... And he, if we think he's childish now, mm-hmm. imagine five years prior on his very first quest being as childish then to then fail so ultimately... Yeah, You know, and mind you, we don't know the dynamic, we don't know what's what, but of course someone like Grover is going to internalize that failure and say, I, like, the reason why this all happened is also because of me. And then and, to be blamed yeah. by other people, too, because Mr. D says, I have to it's gonna lay about into your him. failure yeah. again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, just not building this kid up at all. Nope. But the way that Percy's going to realize that none of this was a dream is that Grover is going to show him the Minotaur horn. And that's going to be explained as a spoil of war, which is not important for this Minotaur horn, Mm -hmm. but it is important for Medusa when we meet Medusa and the fact that when they cut off her head, it stays. It doesn't turn to dust like the rest of her body does. Right. And so Mm -hmm. we learn that certain monsters will basically drop loot like a video game that heroes can take and, and use for their benefit. Like um, in the sequel series, there's another Minotaur that Jason will cut the horn off of. I think it's Jason cuts the horn off of. And it becomes a cornucopia that Piper can use as like almost like a machine gun that shoots out food. Like I never thought of it that way. That yeah. is so cool. Yeah. 
So it's yeah, they're like loot items, but that's Grover's character. Mm-hmm. Now we have Chiron, and we're almost there. We're almost near the end here. We got Chiron, Mister D, and Annabeth. But Chiron, 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 Rip, Chiron. <laughs> I'm gonna start with something that I did like, and something that like I can't. And I, you know, I'm warming to him now that we've had this discussion with him just being burnt out because I can empathize. But what I did love is that Percy has this like description of Chiron. Mm-hmm. Um, where Percy finally makes the connection between Mr. Brunner and Chiron and mentions that like he he's has this like face, like this this like very come on, figure it out, like a very like rot like wry-ish face. And then it's compared to like where he when like when he made quizzes where all the choices were B. Like that audibly that audibly made me laugh. Like it's it's yeah. it's something that like we can't get in the show because it doesn't have an inner monologue and it's like such to the detriment of honestly any other medium but the book because Percy's inner dialogue carries so much of the book which like, it's, it's so good but yes. the reason I laughed at this is that I actually did this one year uh you at did? my old school oh, where God. I made a quiz and I thought that I was helping them out because it was like before it was Christmas break and I was like well, certainly they'll recognize the pattern that I made every answer choice C. And then I said, remember, if you don't know the answer, pick C. Like, I was just trying to help them out, give them a little grade boost before they went into the holidays. Um, do you know how many kids I had failed that test? How many? Like, 67% of the class did not notice the pattern <laughs> that all of the answers were C. They started, I had to drop it, like, just because it wasn't fair. But I was like, I was trying to give them, like, help and it did not work that way rip mm-hmm. but you were actually talking about this like we have this next point that talks about a test and you were talking about it next one like like you were talking about it last episode yeah but like go go ahead okay so i'm gonna read the quote first and then okay. we can circle back to how this relates to things that we've already said in this episode but then also mm-hmm. i think what we were kind of festering on last episode yeah Percy asks, you came to Yancey just to teach me? Chiron nodded. Honestly, I wasn't sure about you at first. We contacted your mother and let her know we were keeping an eye on you in case you were ready for Camp Half-Blood. But you still had so much to learn. Nevertheless, you made it here, and that's always the first test. So, I had hypothesized Mm. that the Minotaur was a test, and this confirms that I was right. It's morbid because why go through the effort of going to Yancey at all to do a half-baked education into all only the mythology and then some Latin language, mm-hmm. barely, and then assume that you've given enough tools for them to endure their first test? Like, no, let's let's be super real. You were just keeping an eye on this boy. You mm-hmm. weren't doing anything, and thankfully, Percy turned out to be great as he is, or else he would have 10 out of 10 died. died. This is actually very, very Roman, which is interesting. Okay. So I had theorized in episode one that there might have been a time that um, Kyron was teaching Roman demigods. <gasps> and so in The Lost Hero and in Son of Neptune which are the first two books of the sequel series, 
we learned that basically the goddess Lupa, who is the wolf that raised Romulus and Remus, um, the the two. Are you familiar with the myth of Rome? Yes. Yeah. So like the wolf that those two like nursed on until they were like adults and stuff. She's a goddess, and her role for the Roman demigods is that they go to the wolf house. Like for some reason, instinctually, they're drawn to the wolf house, right? Okay. And Lupo will train them, like, physically, until they are strong enough to be soldiers of the new Rome Legion. Okay. If they fail, they will die in the wolf house. She will kill them. Like, they're not strong enough to become Roman legionnaires, so she will kill them. Or they will die on their way to Camp Jupiter. And it's, like, literally said that, like, as soon as Lupa is done training them, as soon as she pass, they pass whatever the physical test is, they are on their own entirely. And them getting to Camp Jupiter is their test. And they don't have satyr protectors or people trying to guide them out there. The satyr protector is a very Greek thing. So it's interesting that for Chiron, when it comes to Percy, he takes this very Roman-like approach as opposed to... Like this, you got to camp. That's the first test. As opposed to like, let me escort you because you're of important. Like, it's very much like he seems to have this different standard when it comes to children of the big three to be like, you, like you were saying earlier, it's like, you got to get here alive to prove it, that you're, you're about it or else you're not worth the time. Dang, I bet you're right. I bet and you're I'm wondering absolutely if it's because, right. And I'm wondering if it's because he's just like, I know what children of the big three are capable. I've trained Hercules. I've trained Jason. Like, you need to prove to me that you're on that level before I invest into you. And I, I'm like, it's it, it's giving very much, what's his name? Phil from Hercules. Um, the Disney, the Disney movie. Oh, the itty bitty one? Yeah. the With Seder, the legs? Not, yeah. Yeah. Love where him. he's just like where her dude is trying to ask for for trading and he's just like ah, i've been let down by heroes my entire life like why would yes. i want to trade where it's like i is there a little bit of that happening i don't know what i do know is that i want to skip this next point because i don't actually feel that strong about it and move into mr d for the sake of time do it um and just what a guy what a, what a guy! What a, or what? What a god this man is! <laughs> what a god! Because I have, when I read this, the note I put into my like his description, like his physical description of looking like a cherub. The note that I put into my book is that he is giving big, wearing sweatpants to the classroom energy here, like very much like you know your teacher is checked out when they show up to work in that hoodie and sweatpants, yeah. like. Mm-hmm. I I don't know why it just reminds me of like because he doesn't want to be there he's there as a punishment from Zeus yeah. because he mm-hmm. was flirting with this nymph that was off limits to or I guess this is very this is very like teenage bro behavior where it, it's it's very like this is this is giving dibs yeah that like, is very much dibs like I that's it it's always been weird for me. Even as a even as a teenager, I was like, "What do you mean dibs? Like that she has no no say in the matter of this? Like, but yeah, so it's it's very much like Zeus called dibs, and Mister D didn't respect the dibs, and now he's at uh-huh. camp teaching demigods, and he's super upset about it. And the thing that I've always loved about that is how much Mister D hates demigods, 
despite he himself being one before he turned into a god so it was like him and hercules yeah that started off as demigods that later Mm -hmm. became full-blown gods yeah and like mr d becomes a god or dionysus becomes a god because he helps his father defeat the giants i believe like the the when the giants come out of tartarus because giants need to be killed by a demigod and a god working together oh and so like that's how mr d helps and gains his godhood sorry gains his godhood um but i just love that he just hates it so much he hates being he hates like i i don't know if it's like a reminiscence of like him being a de- like him being i can't half blood reminds him of what his life was very very difficult and that's why mm-hmm. he hates half bloods or whatever it is behind it but like it is it's always been funny to me that this man is a half blood was a half blood at one point and just cannot stand them mm-hmm I think you hit the nail on the head um, pre-recording too when he's Dionysus is mostly known for being the god of alcohol. I don't know if it's the best way to... And and merriment. Yeah, 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 merriment. That's what I was thinking of. But then also Mm -hmm. when you shed light on the fact that he's also the god of madness, Mm -hmm. which honestly makes sense because I feel like those who suffer from alcoholism are often pushing back their own internal madness. And I think that I, like, I have to read this section out because, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, this, this, like, this was another one of those, like, Rick just being the masterful writer that he is. I love the way that he describes certain things in this moment where Percy's having that, like, click, like, okay, finally the Legos are falling into place and I'm understanding it to see the picture. And... Percy goes, a god, you? Looking at Dionysus, and Dionysus turned to look at me straight on, and I saw a kind of purplish fire in his eyes, a hint that his whiny, plump little, that this whiny, plump little man was only showing me the tiniest bit of his true nature. I saw visions of great vines choking unbelievers to death drunken warriors, insane with battle lust, sailors screaming as their head Hands turned to flippers, their faces elongating into dolphin snouts. I knew that if I pushed him, Mr. D would show me the worst things. He would plant a disease in my brain that would leave me wearing a straitjacket in a rubber room for the rest of my life. That's just would such you... an description. Yeah, like what just happened? Like he, that was the ultimate try me, bro. Because then Dionysus says, would you like to test me, child? Which is very much like... it's a a godly response though it's it's a a godly response for sure go ahead test me you don't know what you're getting into i'm not the one i also love that his one of his symbols is the dolphin and like i I love that that that, yeah one of his symbols is the dolphin so i like that that's a reference to uh, i I bring it up in like our mythology references that we're about to get to yes that's important but yeah he's he is just so he has a character is so mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah. But it's weird because he hates everyone at the camp, right? But later we're going to learn that he has two sons, Castor and Pollux, um, at the camp with him right now. They're in his cabin. Like they they are there at the same time as Percy. Yeah. And during the time of the war, Dionysus will begrudgingly ask Percy. By like I, I think that's like the only time Percy he's uses Percy's name correctly. And he asks Percy to keep a lookout for his son, for his sons. So it like, it shows that there's still 
something in him that cares. It's just buried under so many layers of bitterness Ooh. of his situation. It's giving me the Grinch. <laughs> the Grinch? <laughs> I was going to be like, I was going to be like, it's kind of a mix of like, he kind of reminds me of a mix, like comparing it back to Harry Potter. He's kind of reminding me of a mix of like Snape and Aberforth. Okay. Like that's the kind of like. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There yeah, is yeah. there is goodwill somewhere in there, but it is buried underneath so much. So deep. Yeah. So deep. Under all that spat. Okay. Hit Last us with some Annabeth. Annabeth. Oh my goodness. Okay. Annabeth will have a lot of time later in this book to shine. This one is very introductory to her. Yes. But we learn that Annabeth, and then of course by extension Luke, because they arrive together, have been at mm -hmm. Camp Half-Blood for a very long time. I think they're the longest active campers okay. at camp at this point. Um, and, and the main thing that I'm wondering, and I want to be on the lookout for as I read, is that I know that eventually Annabeth and Grover are going to have a like a like a come to Jesus moment here and like figure out their relationship. Like settle, like settle the what is unsettled between them, where it's like this guilt that remains and the reason why they're not as like close as you think they might be at the start. But I actually don't really remember if Luke ever gets to the point of forgiving Grover. Because mm. Luke is not like Percy. Luke nope. is very bitter. Yes. You know, whereas Percy sees his failure to protect his mom on himself Luke probably feels some level of guilt, but I have to assume that there is some associated anger with Grover where it comes to why did you not protect Thalia? Or why did you not tell Thalia to come with you? Why did you let her go back down there to fight? And I think that's that's deflecting. Like, I think a lot of that's like deflecting anger because at the same time, it's like, where were you? Why yep. were you not dragging you were there. her, her mm -hmm. up, you know? And, like, I'm sure, I, if I remember correctly, he's, like, very injured. But I'm, like, if you couldn't do it, what did you expect the, the childish satyr to do? You know? And yeah. so, like, I really want to see if that's ever addressed. I know that he puts on this facade of being okay with Grover. Because, like, he'll talk, I think he talks to Grover when they do the iris messaging. Like, for a second. But I want, I'm really looking to see if authentically there's ever any real discussion about that relationship. Because I know it has to exist. Right. Wow, we've been talking for an hour and ten minutes, so let's end this <laughs> with the mythology references. And there's two mythology references that I really want to, like, note. I mean, there's a ton. We're in Camp Alpha. But the two that really stuck out to me is this weird dream that Percy has at the start mm -hmm. where he describes, it's like, I had a weird dream full of barnyard animals. Most of them wanted to kill me. The rest wanted food. And so I thought, what I thought of this was... All of the animal or all of the gods are associated with animals, mm -hmm. and a lot of them are um, farm animals. Like a lot of them are animals that can be found on a farm. Like Ares has the symbol of dogs, vultures, and boars. So pigs and dogs can be found on farms. Not so much vultures, but still, you know, like I think there's a connection there. Athena is the owl, the barn owl. Poseidon is the horse. Hera has cows like it's just very so I'm wondering if that's like a depiction of this of the of the 
Olympians on ensemb- like looking at Percy and deciding what are we going to do with this kid? Like, are we going to kill him like right now? What should we do? And so, like, I'm wondering if that is like a reference to that because we know that animal references have been used before to describe the fighting of the gods, where Percy has that dream about the eagle and the horse fighting with the eagle being the symbol of Zeus and the horse being the symbol of Poseidon. So I'm wondering if it's like a callback to that. Yeah. Especially because we didn't talk about this at all. It was relatively small in the grand scheme of this chapter, Mm -hmm. but we do get an introduction to Olympus. So I feel like it has to be a a direct correlation to that introduction. I think, I think you're absolutely right. Especially when there's this one line that says, um, and the, heart or the fire is america right now like where Mm. like the epicenter of power and therefore mount olympus exists is america Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah it exists at the top of the empire state building currently so right i wonder if it i wonder if by now it would have moved like that's something that i would have loved to be like if risk ever did if rick ever did an ama to be like in the year 2024 is olympus still in america or has it moved somewhere else Uh uh-huh like, that would be very interesting. But more yes. on topic, the other mm-hmm. myth that I kind of wanted to talk about is Argus and who he is. So Argus was created by Hera, and his job was to slay Echidna. And I'm sure you remember from, like, the TV shows and uh, the TV show and it shows up here. But Echidna is the mother of monsters. Mm-hmm. So it is interesting that she created basically a weapon to go kill the mother of monsters. Um... And so he acts, and so like it's it, he must have arrived at Camp Half Blood with this like monster protecting duty ingrained in his head. Like he 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 feels like it's his duty to go kill other monsters. So it makes sense why he would become the security of Camp Half Blood. But he is not a demigod, nor is he like a god. He is a creation of a god, but like he would typically fall under the category of what we would consider a monster, a mythological monster. Like he's not, he's clearly not human, you know? Mm -hmm. And so the big thing that this tells us and kind of like the last point I really have is that it lets us, and because it becomes important later in the series, but it lets us know that a monster can access Camp Half-Blood if given permission to, you know? And so like, Obviously, that leads to the monsters that appear in um, in the forest during Capture the Flag. It relates to the Hellhound that will appear later. It will relate to the Scorpion that will appear later in this, in this chapter. But the idea that a monster can be brought into Camp Half-Blood, meaning that, you know, it brings me back to Sally, where it's like the restrictions on this property line seem very open to negotiation yeah. you know and so yes something to look out for in the future as we keep reading absolutely but with that i think we've covered everything Huzzah. of chapter five i play pinochle with a horse mm-hmm. overall i really enjoyed this chapter i'm looking mm-hmm. forward to chapter six i'm actually really looking forward to i think it's chapter seven or eight which is um cat we capture a flag like that one's that one's a super fun chapter to get to yeah but you know really excited thank you all for watching if you've made it this far please leave a comment saying what should they leave in the comments um say type blueberry not blueberry oh my god type blue chocolate chip cookies 
in the comments <laughs> if you actually made it this far. Um, also, I probably should have plugged this in the beginning, but you know, follow me on Twitter, like and comment, um, subscribe to the channel, follow yeah. us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, give us a five star rating, give us a review. In those reviews, you can also ask questions if there's anything that you would want us to answer while doing the podcast. I think we're up to like three ratings, which is not much, but it's still more than nothing. Yes. And, um, yeah. So um, once again, thank you all for watching. Thank you, Jay, for doing this with me. And as always, I want to make sure that you have an opportunity to plug anything if you want to. Uh, just join us next time for I Become Supreme Lord of the Bathroom. All right. And with that, have a great rest of your day. And until next week, peace. peace.